2: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
3: Hey y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was April 3, 1860. The first mail delivered via Pony Express left from St. Joseph, Missouri, on a rider and horse relay to Sacramento, California. The rider used a mochila, which was a leather cover over a horse's saddle that riders used as a mailbag. The mochila included a letter from President James Buchanan to John Downey, the governor of California. The letter of congratulations had been telegraphed that morning from Washington, D.C. to St. Joseph. That first ride, and the entire Pony Express service, was great at getting mail across long distances, as compared to the extremely inefficient mail delivery process that was standard at the time. But the Pony Express didn't last two years, thanks to technological advances and money woes. In the mid-1800s, mail delivery to California, a brand new state, was slow. Stagecoaches could take weeks to carry mail overland, and steamships took circuitous routes around South America or through the Isthmus of Panama or the Isthmus of Tehuantepec in Mexico to make it to its final destination. But the 24-day overland service from Missouri to California was just not going to be sufficient anymore, as the approach of the Civil War made fast mail delivery imperative. The origins of the idea for the Pony Express have been linked to several people, including California Senator William M. Gwynn, U.S. Secretary of War John B. Floyd and Benjamin Ficklin. Regardless, the private freighting firm Russell, Majors & Waddell set out to create the Central Overland California and Pikes Peak Express Company, better known as the Pony Express. St. Joseph, Missouri, A prime location, because of its access to the east through railroads and telegraph, was chosen as the eastern terminus of the mail route. Sacramento, California's capital, would be the western end of the route. The route started off following the Oregon Trail, then departed from that trail west of Salt Lake City, Utah. It traveled through the modern-day states of Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, and California, and covered a distance of more than 1,800 miles, or 2,900 kilometers. Benjamin Ficklin was the superintendent of the route, and he divided the route into five divisions with superintendents for each. There were about 200 relay stations, 10 to 15 miles apart along the route, where riders would transfer the mochila to the next mount and change horses. Every about 90 to 120 miles, there were home stations, where riders would eat and sleep after handing the mail off to the next rider. More than 400 horses were purchased for the route, and station keepers and stock tenders were hired in addition to riders. Riders had to meet specific requirements. They had to be brave, relatively thin, experienced riders with knowledge of the trail they would be assigned to. An ad ran in the Sacramento Union on March 19, 1860 to recruit the perfect workers. It read, Man Wanted. The undersigned wishes to hire 10 or a dozen men familiar with the management of horses as hostlers are riders on the overland express route via Salt Lake City. Wages, $50 per month and found. Found means room and board. On April 3, 1860, the first rider, Johnny Fry, took off on his horse around 7.15 p.m. and headed west, crossing the Missouri River by ferry and speeding across Kansas for 90 miles until it was time for him to hand off the proverbial baton. 40 riders took part in that first delivery to Sacramento, and by 5.45 p.m. on April 13th, the last rider arrived in Sacramento to much fanfare. The mail was then taken by the Steamboat Antelope to San Francisco. We may scoff at the delivery time today, since we're spoiled with overnight shipping and the promise of drone delivery, but the Pony Express took only 10 days on average to deliver mail from Missouri to the West Coast, The Pony Express's best time was seven days and 17 hours when riders delivered Abraham Lincoln's inaugural address from Nebraska to California. There were some notable riders too, like Robert Pony Bob Haslam, who in May 1860 traveled 380 miles in less than 40 hours, because another relay rider was afraid he would run into Paiute peoples who had been attacking stations. The Pony Express was successful and that the riders delivered more than 35,000 pieces of mail in record times, and only one bag of mail was reportedly lost over the course of its year-and-a-half run. But ultimately, the Pony Express failed because the service was too expensive for average people. There was conflict among executives, and various setbacks meant the company couldn't afford to support the service. It never turned a profit. Even more pressing, though, was the connection of the East and West Coast by a transcontinental telegraph line in October 1861. The Pony Express shut down in November. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And just an additional note about other mail routes that had been established before the Pony Express, Genghis Khan also instituted a horse relay to deliver messages. And American newspapers used horse relays between New York and Boston between 1825 and 1830. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Come back tomorrow for another tidbit from history.
2: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how
0: to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a There. Available wherever you will get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
3: Hey everyone, it's Eves again, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that takes history and squeezes it into bite-sized stories. The day was April 3rd, 1948. Leftists launched an uprising against police and right-wing paramilitary groups on Jeju Island in South Korea. The uprising lasted until May of 1949. Its suppression resulted in the death of an estimated 30,000 people, many of them killed by police, soldiers, and anti-communists. That was around 10% of the island's population. The uprising is also known as the April 3rd Incident. In August of 1945, the Japanese surrendered to Allied forces in World War II. That ended the Japanese occupation of Korea, which had begun in 1910. Korea was then divided at the 38th parallel, with the Soviets in the north and the Americans in the south. The island of Jeju was controlled by the United States Army military government in Korea. Though there was a lot of unrest on mainland Korea, the island of Jeju was geographically and politically isolated, During the first year of American occupation, the situation on Jeju remained relatively peaceful. The Jeju People's Committee gained a lot of support across the island. But in 1946, Jeju was incorporated as a separate province of US-backed South Korea. This led to more rightist administrators and police being on the island. Late that year, the Workers' Party of South Korea, a communist party, won control of the Jeju People's Committee. An uprising in the southern provinces of the Korean mainland were blamed on communists and contributed to more anti-left tension on Jeju. On March 1, 1947, tens of thousands of Jeju residents gathered in Jeju City to mark the anniversary of the March 1st movement, a demonstration against Japanese rule that occurred in 1919. The residents also opposed increased taxation, the dissolution of the People's Committee, and police brutality. Police fired into the crowd, killing six people and wounding others. Many people in the Workers' Party were arrested during the demonstrations. There were a series of strikes in response to the shootings. Following this incident, tensions grew between the right and the left on Jeju. In November of 1947, the United Nations adopted a resolution calling for elections in the southern part of Korea. The elections were set to take place on May 10, 1948. They would affirm the division of the Korean Peninsula between the communist North and capitalist South. As the elections approached, people in the Workers' Party planned protests against them. On April 3, 1948, people from the Workers' Party, alongside other communist supporters, attacked police stations on Jeju, killed police officers, and destroyed polling centers. The reasoning behind the uprising has been debated. The commander of the police forces attempted to negotiate with guerrilla leaders, but they could not come to a peaceful resolution. The fighting continued, disrupting the May 10th elections. The Republic of Korea, also known as South Korea, was established in August of 1948. By October, the South Korean government was ramping up efforts to squash the uprising. Martial law was declared, and the campaign against rebel forces turned brutally violent. Tens of thousands of people were killed in the uprising in its aftermath, and thousands more fled the island. The uprising was effectively suppressed by May of 1949, though sporadic fighting continued over the next several years. The Korean War began in June of 1950, when North Korea invaded South Korea. The existence of the Jeju Uprising and any investigations into it were suppressed in South Korea in the decades after it happened. The United States' role in the suppression of the uprising has been the subject of a lot of debate. The South Korean police apologized for the massacre for the first time in 2019. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can give us a shout or a share on social media at TDIHC podcast, and you can also send us an email at, thisday at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks again for tuning in to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow.
4: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.